Grace and peace to you from God and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When children between the age of four and eight were asked their understanding of love, they gave a myriad of answers, and I'd like to share a few with you this morning. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time now even when his hands have arthritis too. That's love. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different, you know that your name is safe in their mouth. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. This is one of my favorites. I've used it here on a Christmas Eve sermon. Love is what's in the room at Christmas if you stop opening the presents and just listen. And then this one. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend whom you hate. This morning, we hear that the Pharisees wanted to put Jesus to the test The forces are gathering against him. The Sadducees, he's just put them in their place. The Roman authorities and the Jewish authorities are beginning to get uncomfortable about his presence. And one of the Pharisees comes and asks him the question that you have just heard. They're trying to damage his reputation. They're trying to prove that he doesn't know what he he says he knows about the ancient teachings of the Hebrew faith. And so they ask him what could be a trick question. Teacher, which commandment is the greatest? You just heard the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These, um, these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus passed their test. He even pronounced that he was the completion of the law and the prophets, or at least pointed to that. And so the Pharisees are put into their place. Rabbis in Jesus' day taught that the 613 commandments of the law could be summed up in various ways. And even the great Old Testament prophets did exactly the same thing. What does the Lord require of you, inquired the prophet Micah. And then he answered that with just three commands, do justice Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. The prophet Isaiah based the commandments on just two of these. He proclaimed, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Maintain justice. Do what is right. Love God with all you have and above everything. Love your neighbor. And the phrase that we often overlook, love yourself. In our own baptismal covenant, we're asked these questions. Will you seek and serve Christ in all people, loving your neighbor as yourself? 
And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being? We answer, I will with God's help. We can with God's help. How even, however, even with God's help, loving the unlovable is sometimes very, very difficult. In the spring of 1996, I received a telephone call from the diocesan office informing me that they had received a request for a priest to visit an inmate at Phillips State Prison. This correctional facility stood less than six miles from the property on which the Church of St. Mary and St. Martha would soon stand. I was the nearest priest. I had no choice but respond. I didn't want to go. But I made contact with the chaplain and began the rather lengthy screening process that would eventually lead to my being allowed to visit. They basically booked me. They took my picture, took my thumbprints, did background check, called the diocese, and even wanted to see my ordination certificate. And I said, it hangs on the wall. And they said, don't you have some card? And I said, no. So I had to carry my ordination certificate in and show it to them. Several months later, I made my first visit to the prison, and I met Edward. I can tell you his name because he later wrote a letter of appreciation to the parish that was printed in our newsletter. I really, really didn't want to go. I will never forget the feelings of fear and uncomfortableness I experienced as I passed through the first sally port that led from the outside world through the double 15-foot chain-link fence fence topped with three or four bands of razor wire. And when that second gate closed behind me, I knew I was no longer in charge. I was trapped. I had no control. Then, as I passed through yet another sally port deep inside of the prison, this one with heavy metal doors and thick bulletproof glass, I prepared to walk out into the general population of the prison. I was about to meet strangers, and one in particular. I was asking myself, what in the world am I doing here? Serving Christ came back as the answer. During this first visit, Edward told me of his lifelong membership in the Episcopal Church. He shared with me that he had grown up at Holy Trinity Parish, just in Decatur, where he had served as an acolyte at the altar with a legendary and much-loved long-term rector, Harry Tisdale. Since I had served at Holy Trinity as an associate years before, it gave us a contact point, and we carried on a nice conversation of getting to know one another. He told me he had been a member at St. Francis in Macon, And then toward the end of our allotted time together, he asked me, did they tell you why I'm here? No, I responded. I murdered someone. Silence followed for a time. Then he asked, will you come back to see me again? Of course I will. Will you please bring me communion next time and use right one and include the Decalogue? Absolutely, was my response. Thus began a nine-year friendship that ended just months before I came to 
All Saints when he was transferred to another facility. And today he is searching, working toward becoming a deacon in the Episcopal Church. This ministry, along with a weekly Bible study I'll tell you about in just a minute, remains one of the most enjoyable and rewarding expressions and experiences of my ministry. The second time I visited Edward, he asked me, how often do you use the penitential order in Sunday worship? Well, I was serving a good right to parish at the time, and so we didn't hear it in the opening of the service as you do in right one, and at least the summary of the law, which we just heard, and I said, well, usually two Sundays in Lent. His response with that is one of the things that is wrong with the world today. We have forgotten God's commandments, and we are never reminded of them, nor are we reminded of God's love and the commandment that we love one another as we are loved by God. Sitting there, I remembered my childhood when, as a member of the junior choir, I sang the response, Lord, have mercy upon us and incline our hearts to keep this law once a month. Because in those days, we had morning prayer three Sundays and Eucharist only once. And I sang that nine times as a junior choir member once a month. And then after the Tenth Commandment, Lord, have mercy upon us and write all these thy laws on our hearts, we beseech thee. We don't remember. He had taught me something. In late 2001, one of the deputy wardens, this one for inmate care and treatment, a fellow Episcopalian and a friend through the Crucio movement, asked me if I would do a weekly Bible study. He said, we've got the Baptists and the Pentecostals on one hand and the Roman Catholics on another hand. We need the via media of the Episcopal Church. (laughs) Now, I agreed to do that, and I have to admit that the vast majority of my congregation, my congregation, if it's what it was, God's congregation, came from the mental health dorm, It was one of the things they could get out and do. Most of the time, they're confined to that area. And they were moody, if not downright unpredictable. But there were those who were clearly seeking to grow in faith together. They taught me a lot, and I learned a lot just being inside the walls of the prison. One of the things Edward taught me is the prison walls are there to keep us out as much as to keep them in. Interesting concept. I learned about the injustice within the justice system. I heard about less than peaceful circumstances on the inside. Seeing glimpses of the danger and violence of that community, I saw people treated by those who had unconditional power over them in less than dignified ways, and I was warned not to make a big deal out of it if I wanted to come and visit by the inmates. Not by, the, not by the correctional officers. They are the ones who warned me. I was also told that if anything bad was ever happening between, in, the, in the prison while I was there, they would stand between me and any violence and give their lives before mine would be taken. I learned that the inside really is no different than what you and I deal with every day. I did come to know Edward well, and I count him to this day among my friends despite the fact that he broke one of the Big Ten, despite his sin and brokenness, God still loves him as much as God loves you and me. God still forgives him when he asked for it.
God forgave him. And I came to know others who were on a faith journey, not just coming to Bible study to get into the air-conditioned space in the hot summertime or into the only really warm space. I learned only their inside names sometimes, Big John and Elvis and my favorite doc. Elvis is now in God's kingdom. I have no doubt about it. He died of cancer two years after I came here. And by the time I said my final goodbyes, I felt safer inside the prison than I feel sometimes on the streets around here. And I knew that I was leaving a community of God's children whom God loved deeply. Justice, dignity, service, and even godly love for one another were all to be found within the walls of Phillips State Prison. And now one more definition of love as expressed by a young child. You really shouldn't say, I love you, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. People forget. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus does not try to trick us. We know that God first loved us while we were and yet are sinners. We know of Christ's love for us, shown through his birth, life, death, and resurrection. We know that God loves us and surrounds us at this very moment with unfailing, unending arms of love. And that God is with us to fulfill God's promises. So, sisters and brothers in Christ, I ask you to remind one another of what God's love is like to remind one another of what love for neighbors is all about, to love one another as Christ loves us, and then to find a way to proclaim and share that love with the world. I know there are people sitting in this room right now who are in their own prison. I know there are people sitting in this room who are oppressed by something. And when we find Christ's love, and make it ours, the bars are opened. And when we live into that love and proclaim it to the world, the doors of the prisons are flung open and we live fully into what God intends for us. Glory to God, whose power working through us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you.